0: Hi everyone welcome to resourceful humans i'm your host corey haber and today i have with me michael and gina thank you for coming you guys they thank are you, thank both,
1: you Good well, to be here.
0: they are both very well experienced in the hiring um, and onboarding roles as, as it comes to hr and i'm really excited to hear their opinions and suggestions they have for People going through, especially that virtual onboarding uh, right now, and, and also we'll talk a little about a little bit about interviewing techniques as well. So let's get let's get the ball rolling, you guys. I really want to. I really think that I'd love to hear first about for those people that are doing the hiring virtual onboarding. I mean, it's all virtual right now. Mm-hmm. How do you feel those processes have changed during the pandemic? I mean. I think it's very different from what we saw before.
1: Well, I, so I can take that. So um, and I'm Mike Kerrigan. I've, and I've been in HR field for probably roughly around 20, 20 plus years. Um, you know, the company I work for now, um, we've done a lot of hiring in the past six, seven months. Uh, we've probably brought on about 250 new applicants. Um, you know, it's been a challenge to quickly transition from you know, the orientation to the welcome to doing something more virtual. You know, we, we essentially have 200 plus employees that have never met face-to-face another colleague yet um, other than over in Teams. So, you know, it's it's unique. Um, it it kind of makes, it brings its challenges. You know, the idea that we've done, you know, a lot of what our processes were automated in the first place, which obviously helped. Mm-hmm. Uh, things that couldn't be automated like fingerprinting and things like that have become a challenge that we're trying to work through um and you know and and improve and still kind of manage where now you know they may be doing a little more legwork than we expected by going to the police and getting fingerprinted and submitting it you know via mail so we do have to rely on some other resources that we normally wouldn't do um but it's been a challenge you know i think uh, we've adapted relatively well i think uh you know are the companies doing very well considering you know what everybody else is going through so it's it's but it's had its challenges we we've you know we've looked at other resources it's it's amazes me in the last 6 months how many new vendors have popped up and you have unsolicited calls we get from vendors looking to sell us the latest and greatest return to work covid tracking and return to work you know automated processes you know, I have a feeling a lot of these are going to be gone within a year. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's been interesting. We're definitely being a lot more selective and you know managing it through. But the the workload has definitely increased tremendously.
2: I'd I add on that. I'm I'm Gina Cleo Bloom again. I've got about more than twenty five years of recruiting experience in everything from Big Four to ConAgra to .com, yeah. Well, I would say .coms, but nobody says that anymore. I am dating myself. Okay, I'm out. .com was so much easier than tech startup. It's just too many syllables. Anyhow, um, I've had a slightly different experience because I actually was onboarded yesterday into a new company, and they're having to operate virtually for the first time also. And so what I'm finding is companies are having to be very creative because so much of the focus right now is on culture and are people the right culture fit diversity adds a whole nether layer to it, making sure that people are being anchored effectively into the organization and into the culture. So what I'm finding from just personal experience is that there's a lot more structure given to the integration of the, uh, of the new employee into their team. Who are they meeting? Who are the people they interface with setting up zoom calls with them, team calls, the introductions are happening at a much more rapid rate than they did before. I think in the past, you'd start, you'd spend two or three days or maybe a week in orientation and then over time, over the next couple of weeks you'd meet some people here, some people there you'd have a phone call here, a phone call there, and it would happen kind of organically whereas now, that's having to be accelerated because you don't have the luxury of walking down the hall and just bumping into somebody. Um, The challenges of getting computers and logons, I mean, getting those shipped out and ready. I think companies have had to rethink their just-in-time um, supply chain in, in terms of computer equipment. They're having to stock different equipment, uh, whereas in the past I might have just gotten a desktop or a laptop, now I'm getting an additional monitor, I'm getting a phone, I'm getting headset for voiceover of you know, the computer. So there's a lot of the technology that is just being taken one step more than anything before. But I think it's still a hit and miss. I think companies are struggling with this because they're still not quite sure how long this is going to go on or what's really important. I think you know, most companies have been just doing as much as they can, just the emergency methods. And now that we're into month five and going into month six, they're starting to you know, sit around and say, wait a minute. How you know, How do we make this an effective situation? Because we all know that the first ninety days is the most prime time for somebody to say, "Whoops, I made a mistake. I'm going to leave." They'll go back to their old employer. They'll start looking for another job. So making sure that that, again, anchoring into the organization is happening. I think that that's nothing new. I know when I was at Health First, we were hiring a couple hundred nurses a year, and they were all working remotely. And so we had a real challenge with how do you get them to be part of the organization and feel like they've got a best friend at work and they know who their go-to person is and they create those bonds. So I think that those are some of the challenges that companies are facing right now.
1: So how did your first day go? It was great.
2: I mean, I have to admit, uh, people were incredibly helpful. Uh, I don't have my laptop. I'll have it tomorrow. So I'm having to work on my Mac and my phone. And of course, they're in a place where every time there's a bolt of thunder, power lines go, sorry, I talk with my hands. I know they fly all over the place, so I'll try and sit up. No, that's Uh, great,
0: talk with your hands.
2: Yeah, there you go. Uh, But it went really well. I I was really pleased. I was wondering what it was going to be like. Um, What I'm finding, though, is we're all talking about how we're so used to Zoom, and whether it's Zoom, or Skype, or or anything else, but I think that a lot of people are not using video. They're just doing the audio portion. So you set up a, a Zoom call. but Half the people are just doing the audio; they don't want video. And I think that. Sorry. Sorry.
0: The point in doing it if you're just going to use
2: audio. Exactly. So I think that that's one of the things that companies have to be careful with. They have to explain to people if you are, you know, much as we joke about nobody's wearing pants and we're all in yoga sweats. I think when you're doing orientation and you're meeting new people, there needs to be you need to be prepared. In the same way that you would show up for work on orientation day and you would be looking your best to welcome the people in. I think that that's something that we have to make sure that when we're setting up these orientation periods via electronic methods that people aren't having a chance to engage with you know, in, a vision, in a video format as opposed to just the audio with a picture or an icon with their initials. That, I th- that was probably the only thing that I thought was a little off-putting and um i think that people have just gotten a little lazy i mean i know i did a 20 mile bike ride before i went you know, started work today so i had to make sure that i was in the shower hair done and everything else to be on that call so that i looked good when i was being presented so i think that's one of the things we have to remember is just because it's video doesn't mean you don't have to shower right
1: <laughs> right we've, well, we've kind of driven that one of the you know one of the aspects about the onboarding is you know, our typical onboarding prior to COVID would really be, you know, a lot of handoffs. You know, recruiting would hand off to HR, then mm-hmm. hand off to the manager, and you know, there would no, be no overlapping and there would be one connector at each time. You know, not saying that all our departments do it, but many of the departments we've kind of helped drive is, you know, it's not just one person, it's, it's five yeah. people reaching out to that new hire. You know, whether it's their colleagues, whether it is their, you know, whether it's someone from IT now calling them and helping them get set up. You know and it's true you know a lot of people do resort to doing uh, only voiceover calls versus video you know we try to lead by example you know anytime i make a call i turn on the video straight away to make sure that hey if i have mine on you're gonna have yours on right um, that's the thing i saw you know the beginning period when everybody started going remote i've actually experienced the the opposite you know the first couple of weeks and months when you get on a video call you actually are stunned um you know people are growing beards. Not, uh, um, but you know, the beards, the, you know, they're not showered, you know, they're wearing, you know, the you the know, hair's not done. Yeah. Yeah. But over the past month or two, I think people are kind of, you know, they're understanding this could be permanent that I can't be sitting in sweats every day. And that, you know, I've seen a big transition from a lot of staff going from looking very unkept to actually being kept. And it, it could be because we're, we're we're asking them to do more video but you know I've seen a lot of difference I think people you know they're they understand that you know this may not be permanent we may have some flexibility and we may allow remote work post COVID um, but it's not you know I don't think it's ever going to be 100 percent remote that people need to understand that you know at any given day or obviously with notice that they have to be back in the office and you know they have to get up and shower and do their job so.
0: What do you find? Oh, go ahead, go ahead, Gina.
2: No, 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 no. You, please. It was not that that important comment.
0: I was curious. So, for you, Gina, from your, I'm sure it was important. So we'll get back to it. (laughs) Uh, So, from your perspective of going through that on virtual onboarding just yesterday, right? And. (laughs) <laughs> Michael, from actually being the person to do the virtual onboarding, what have you found? Like what did you find, you know, that went very smoothly? What did you like about it? What did you not like about it? And Michael, what what have you found from your end are, you know, the pros to this virtual onboarding? Or what do you think the employee is finding to be difficult or not liking on that in that virtual process?
2: Uh, I'll start, I'll tell you something that I found interesting and I've talked to other people that have started new jobs recently and they've had the same experience. Because you are not in a formal orientation room with a bunch of other people, you are on a Zoom call with one other person or maybe two or three other people, it could be your team, could be a, a team of uh, business partners you're gonna be working with. People have gotten a bit more casual and will be a little bit more authentic in, well, this is what it's really like to work here. Uh, And I think that's interesting. I think that's, it's it's good and bad Uh, because on the one hand, you you know, you want to present the best possible face when you're talking about the company to a new employee. On the other hand, we've all had that experience of yeah, we go through the interview and everything's wonderful. And then you get there and you're like, yeah, nobody's ever going to order your computer and half the time it doesn't result. So there's a little bit more of that. Now that may be, partially because of the role that I've been brought into, to do. I'm coming in as a contract recruiter to work on some very difficult jobs for them. And so they're trying to give me a flavor of what some of the challenges have been. And I may be probing for those a little bit more, but I find that people are willing to let down the, you know, their guard a little bit more because this does seem more personal than a formal interview, uh, sorry, a formal uh, onboarding process. I don't know, Mike, what's been your experience?
1: Uh, so. I've only been on a few. I have one person who actually does most of the, you know, onboarding and she's very, you know, she connects very well with people. So she gets people to, you know, relax a little more. She's a little very outgoing. You know, the ones I've seen and talked to, I've actually find that, you know, people are more nervous uh, <laughs> People are, you know, one, you know, when I'm in the same way, I don't like looking at myself when I'm talking, you know, I, I, it's okay, you know, it's okay if you look at me, because it doesn't matter. If I have to look at myself talking to someone else, it does make you a little nervous, like, oh, I didn't realize I look like that. And right. Now you're talking to someone else, and you're staring That's back at yourself. Extent. Right. So it's, it's you know, I think in some cases, it's a little bit nerve-wracking, and especially, you know, we do a lot, a lot of our hiring is young staff, mm-hmm. you know, so this is their first exposure, and You know, for some, it may be norm. They all do FaceTime. They all do these face chats. They're very into videos. And to your point, they probably are a hell of a lot more relaxed than if you were talking to, you know, someone my age or of, you know, a generation that basically this is not the norm. You know, I have found a lot more nervousness. um, But they do talk more. They do get relaxed. And that could be either because they are relaxed or that could be just they're very nervous about it. And, you know, what I've told many times and to people who do interview is that, you know, just let them talk. You know, just ask them a question. It's not a short question. Just let them talk because they're bound to do two things. You know, they're either going to send you, tell you something great, and you're going to love it and focus on it, or they're going to tell you something like, Ooh, I'm not hiring this person. Um, you know, so it, it just, it happens that way. So.
0: Do you, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs>
2: I'll just, you, you know me, I'll just chatter away. So <laughs>
0: I want to hear what you were going to say. I do. Go ahead.
2: I, I think it's interesting, the fact that he's talking about how people are nervous, and I think that that's something that I probably was picking up on today and didn't really process it until just now, but I think people are more uncomfortable now. I was talking to people that were you know, a range of ages, a range of technical, uh, I was everything from IT people to HR people to supply chain and logistics people. So all different arenas. But I think there is that nervousness because people are self-conscious and they don't have, it's more difficult because, for example, I'm doing this on my phone, not my computer. So I'm trying to read the the facial expressions and pick up the the, the cues from a postage size photographic view. And that's hard when you're used to, you know, the, the human mind is used to uh, inter- interacting with somebody that's life-size in front of them and being able to look at the full picture, the way the body's sitting, um, you know, the, the, the move of a shoulder, any number of nonverbal cues. And I think that when you've got, if it's one-on-one, it's, it's one thing, but when you've got three, four, five people all in these postage stamp little boxes in a, a Zoom call or, or such, it can be difficult because you're not able, you don't know where you're looking. So I think I'm looking at you, but I'm not looking in the camera. So what you're seeing is me looking away, which seems shifty, right? Right. Um, and so there's that. There's the fact that I can't see in many cases, like here, I'm just looking at the three of us. I'm pulled back a bit more, but the two of you are more forward. So as I said, I, you know, I'm talking with my hands all the time, if we were in a room, you'd see that and you'd know that about me. And it would be an emphasis that I would be offering. And it might tell you something about me and how I act and my enthusiasm or passion for things. Without the to my hands
1: help. too, like this.
2: Okay, there you go. I don't understand people who just sit on your hands. I have to do that in meetings. I have been told to just, Gina, sit on your hands for a while. Just stop talking, sit on your hands.
0: I talk to
2: you all the time. Sorry?
0: I do that all the time. I speak with my hands and on Zoom yeah. or on virtual, it's very difficult for people to see what you're doing. So it just looks very mm-hmm.
2: odd. Yeah, it, it's because you only see the tips of your fingers. It looks very <laughs> odd. You got to remember to like do, yeah, you know, high hands. Uh, but I think that that's part of something we have to think about when we're onboarding people is this, the psychometrics of it of what are people in typical in-person interactions used to picking up on, how do they identify whether they can trust somebody, whether they like somebody, whether they feel comfortable with that person when all they're looking at is just this little square of their face and they're not getting the full picture. And so maybe that's something we need to look at as we're going forward and continuing to do these onboarding situations in that maybe we set it up and we ask people, can you, you can you set it up? Pull the the camera back a little bit. Um, Make sure that you've got decent lighting. I mean, just give people a little bit of a a support system so that they're not looking at just somebody's head. They're looking at a little bit more of the person and
1: then can get a sense of what's going on. That's interesting you said that, you know, maybe that is, something a company could come back with is you know etiquette or etiquette of actually doing zoom calls or whatever it is because you know it's funny i was on a meeting today and there was about four or five people on it and they get off and everybody's starting to leave and saying goodbye and one person waves and it just took me back i'm like i don't think i've ever actually had someone wave to me and <laughs> it was just mm-hmm. it was so odd but it was you know it was completely natural to that person but i, when yeah. I was looking, like okay
2: (laughs) i do it all the time because when you're on these things because of the overlays of the technology if i'm talking and you want to talk you can't you know you interrupt each other so i find i do things like raise my hand i'll do this i'll do you know any sort of hand gesture to so i can give a a nonverbal response so i'm not taking up you know so i don't get the little box saying okay i've got the floor i've got the mic and i think that Maybe that's another thing that we can you know, help people with and let them know that it's okay. Um, you know, salute somebody, wave, thumbs up, any number of things. Uh, you know, we're going to become a, a physical manifestation of the emojis we use when we text.
0: I think that uh, etiquette, some sort of guideline to etiquette for virtual interviews or onboarding or just meeting the team, I I really think it is necessary. And I think companies really should consider starting to come up with that sort of structure because there are so many people, even if they're comfortable being on a virtual, like a visual virtual call, they might be used to doing it in a social way or with friends or family. Mm -hmm. And they may not really know what's appropriate. What is, that you should sit back a little farther. It is nice for that employer to see your hand gestures and to see you and the lighting could the lighting being bad can be just distracting from the whole conversation and and I think that that would be very helpful to this virtual onboarding process now do you find that you see a lot of people i mean well from your personal experience and, and from your experience uh Michael with the new employees do you find that you see a lot of people where you're really just seeing their head and you're really and they're in a dark room or you know it's just it's very distracting. The other things going on around them. That's
1: hard mm-hmm. to really focus on them. Well, for for us, um, you know, not that it's hard to focus. A lot of us, you know, at our office, most everybody has three to four monitors. You know, so you know, going back to the onboarding and getting everybody remote. You know, what we did is because everybody was purchasing equipment at the same time. We provided a stipend of fifteen hundred bucks for people to go buy what they needed to get to do. Um, You know, so now people have monitors. So you catch a lot of people, like I have three monitors here, I'm looking at my computer, but, you know, a lot of the times they're not looking at their camera, they're looking at, you know, know, maybe up on another monitor, and they're looking at you, but the camera's over here. So it's, you know, I find strange things like that is like, even though I'm staring at the camera and staring at you, I'm staring at the side of your face, because even though you're looking at me direct on, you're not looking at the camera. So You know, it's, it's, it's been interesting, but I think, you know, the the interesting whole thing about this in our company is we hire a lot of introverts, you know, people are just having social, you know, events is not natural for them, even though they enjoy it. And we we work around it and, you know, they've gotten used to it and they're more comfortable with it, but it's the same events all the time that they have now they're used to it. Um, You know, for some reasons, our teams has made them more collaborative. You know, we use teams, you know, they're actually more engaged with their staff, they're actually more engaged with their employees. I hear a lot of people, you know, say every morning they have a quick, you know, 10 minute meeting with their entire staff and they go about their day, they make sure they check in at least once. I've yet to hear anybody say, like, oh, I haven't talked to my manager in weeks, but when we were in the office, yeah. they are like, I, when, how, did you talk to your manager? Like, oh, I haven't seen them in a while. I'm like, you're in the office with them. Like, what do you mean you haven't seen them in a while? But when he talks to them now, it's like, oh, yeah, we we just, we talk about maybe two or three times a day. Like, so in all retrospect, even though it's uncomfortable, you know, people are being more engaged and whether it's because they're lonely at home or they're, you know, stuck isolated at home or whether they've had enough of their family, who knows? (laughs) There's many Uh, reasons why, but it's, it's, it's actually worked in a plus. It's actually pretty good.
2: That might be kind of an interesting scenario in that we all thought that (laughs) In the past, people that worked virtually were less engaged, but I think when the, the field is leveled and everyone's doing it, then you have to find those workarounds. And so it becomes all that more important for the manager to make sure that they're checking in with their team and having um, you know, more meetings, more you know, more phone calls. And I've noticed even in just the 24 hours since I've been working with this company, the amount of check-ins I'm having with the person that I report to that she's involved in calls now. I realize it's because she's setting me up for some things, but still I'm looking at some of the schedules that they're putting in, and they do have a fair amount of check-ins that I bet six months ago they didn't have. And it was more of that, you know, maybe every other week we'll have an HR meeting together. Now it seems to be more frequent. And I think that that may be something that's going to come out of this that I think will be a benefit because in the past, sorry, Something just flipped up on my screen and <laughs> distracted me. Uh, but I think in the past, what was happening is people were not making time. They were not developing their staff. They were just handing them the work and letting them go and really not paying attention to it. And because of the fact that people are feeling a bit more isolated, I think they're making more of an effort. And I think that the, you know, the first iteration 10, 15 years ago, when IM and things like that were first hitting them, you know, the office space, They were distractions. I I know after a while I got crazy because I had too many things popping up on my screen like it just did. And it would distract me from what I was trying to focus on and the person I was trying to focus on. And I think now, because of the use of Slack or Teams or any number of these collaborative Mondays, whatever you're going to be using, I think it's enabling people to feel more connected than maybe in the past. And so also we've, we've become as you know modern citizens we've become very used to using text um 20 years ago nobody in the united states was texting it was very unusual europeans asians were doing it but not us and now we're so used to it most people prefer to text than talk half the time and so those Sorry.
0: my biggest pet peeve i definitely prefer phone
2: yeah but yeah for the right thing i mean text is easier i mean it 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 has its purposes, but I think that people are much more comfortable with it and therefore the slacks and and the similar situation, uh, um, softwares, people are becoming more adept at using it and feeling more connected with it. And I think that people are more comfortable with having an electronic connection than they would have been if if this had happened 10 years ago. Right.
0: I I agree with that 100%. Have you noticed, You know, one thing I've heard from uh, many HR professionals is, and this might seem a little irrelevant, but when you do that virtual onboarding process, you do the hiring, you do bring someone on board. Number one, two things. Two things is, let's start with this: do you, you do you need to provide the technology? Because a lot of companies aren't providing that technology, and the expectation is that the employee is going to find a way to work from home, find the computer they need, find the phone they need to do that. They might need to print, they might need to fax. Do you feel like that sort of technology should be provided by all um, employers yeah. other employees? Hey, well,
1: yeah. I, I, I do, I, you know, for just for our, you know, whether we have them purchase it or whether we purchase it for them, like we went through an exercise where we didn't have enough laptops to give to everybody because everybody had, you know virtual machines within the system and they obviously couldn't take them home so we do laptops for them to vpn into the system you know obviously being a brokerage you know we obviously security is the biggest thing you know so you know even though we've had people reach out we've given models for them to do it you know we're not relying on them using their own laptop and you know the other thing we've just come to the conclusion is you know especially people with families you know if they have a f- three kids and two and the wife is working too, are we expecting them to have five laptops already or are we just going to make the assumption that they're going to bring their own device and you know we prefer it that we we purchase the brand new one for them or they purchase it and they utilize it we put all our security on it it just makes it easier you know at least the standpoint if they do leave, we have something back we can utilize for someone else versus you know now that God knows what they put down took off their system put on their laptop. Um, yeah. You know so i think for us i think there is a responsibility you know mm-hmm. to to provide something whether it's a stipend or whether it is actually a system you know they're they're so cheap you know it's not you know for for companies to say they can't afford it i'm like i think that's you know unless you're ready to go bankrupt then you know then don't. <laughs> but they're so cheap that you know you, you sh- i think you should do it right
2: yeah, I, I would agree i think any company that isn't willing to put up the equipment for their person to be able to work from home. Run from that company because there's going to be other it, there's going to be other problems working for that company.
0: I totally uh, agree.
2: And and whether I mean and then it's a question of reimbursing them. I mean, for example, um, do you reimburse the internet? Every, you know, most people that we're going to be hiring do have an, a high speed internet connection, but it's costing them anywhere from you know, fifty to one hundred bucks a month. Um, should the company get a free ride on that.
0: You're right. And some people have had to upgrade their internet because they're working from home, they have children homeschooling, they have a spouse that's working from home, and that's coming out of their pocket. That's the extra money they're having to spend that they never would have planned on spending and wasn't part of their budget. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think the same thing for for cellular devices, for for phones. I, I think a lot of people right now who are having issues with their internet speed are using hotspots or paying to have a hotspot added to, to their lines, which also is extra money on top of a higher speed internet. So yeah, I don't know if that's being taken into account by enough employers right now, but it, it really should be. It seems small, but it's really a big problem for the employee.
2: And our, our no, I'm, I'm, go ahead. No, I'm saying it adds up. I mean, just even yes. yesterday, they asked me if I wanted to use my own phone, and I was like, oh, hell no. I mean, even though I've got an, I just switched to an unlimited data plan. Right. If I max out at a certain amount, they're in. You know, T-Mobile throttles you. Most companies will. So yeah, give me another phone, because at some point I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna hand the phone back, and I don't want everyone calling me at three in the morning on my personal line. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I think that within reason, companies should be taking care of these things, and these sh- forward-thinking companies are thinking about what does our employee need to be successful, because employees are in such a stressful situation. Right. Even. Even me, I mean, I've I've got, you know, it's not difficult for me to work from home. I've done it before. I did it for years. But I used to have a second room with a desk and a proper office, and I could separate off. Now, my desk, I've got a little writer's desk, and it's next to my bed. And fortunately, it's got two tiers, so I'm going to have a lap, one laptop and a second monitor and then my laptop on top of that with two sets of trackballs. So all of a sudden, I'm juggling all that, and I'm literally right next to my bed. So the stress that employers are going through and trying to even carve out a space to work in their home, yeah. especially you know, if you live in a New York apartment, and if there's kids or there's a, a second person in the apartment that's doing it, I mean, even right now, I, we're doing this, I had to send my, because I'm in his room, I had to send my father out of his room, told him to turn off the TV and go read for an hour, because <laughs> you know, the, the sound of you know, the television was coming through the walls. So there's a lot of stuff that you have to think about. And it, it's more than just, you know, I know we're trying to focus on onboarding, but I think this is part of it. I understand. Maybe there needs to be a piece in the onboarding process that says to the candidate, there's a checklist. Tell us what your situation at home is. What do you need? Do you, have, do you need a desk? You know, For 100 bucks, you can order somebody a desk. They may need a desk. They right. may need a comfortable <laughs> chair. Um, you know, the reality is most people are not going to be going back to work probably and for another six months. Right. So what is the work that you know, when we work in HR? What are the workers comp implications of forcing somebody to sit in a kitchen table yeah. with their head down at the computer? Cause it's not at the right height and they don't have the right ergonomics and, and all of that. So are we, are we creating a generation of people that are going to have um, health problems because they don't have appropriate, um, workstations at home.
1: I think we're all waiting on that workers comp thing because uh, I don't <laughs> think we've actually addressed it yet for remote working. So but you know I, I do agree with you. I, I you know going back to the onboarding piece, you know, I, I don't think you would ask the questions beforehand what do you need? Because I, you know, I wouldn't want obviously you could fall into like a discriminatory if they don't have the right equipment that, you know, maybe you're 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 assuming that they're you know a certain you know Whatever, just stereotype that they don't have it. So, you know, after, mm-hmm. but I do agree to be some checklists. Okay, you know, what do would you need to perform for your, to be a hundred percent in the working remote? Yeah. What do you need to perform, and then we just literally go out and get it from
2: it
1: yeah. gets shipped to them or whatever. But no, I agree I, with that. I, I, I wasn't suggesting that we do it at the interview
2: stage. This would be part of the onboarding once they've been hired and all of that. Right. When you, you have to have that conversation saying, okay, you're going to be working from home. Tell us, yeah, you know, these are the items we think you might be needing. Is there anything that's not on here that you need? And please right. don't
1: provide them with the basics and then the checklist. Here are the options that you could add uh, after, and, uh, you know, we'll get you that with a week. No, I agree. You know, I think we've kind of laid back a little bit on, you know, we're hoping you know, within, you know, that this is going to go away, you know, I don't believe we'll go back. We'll be, I, well, I can tell you, I know for a fact, I don't think we'll be remaining 100% remote working once this is all over. I think we'll go back. But I think we've gone from no one ever working remote to 100% remote. But I think we'll find something in between that, you know, once we figure that piece out, then kind of decide what do we need to do to get people up and running and, you know, whether they will be, you know, are we going to continue to grow, you know, brick and mortar? Are we just going to say this is where we are and, you know, everybody else that's hired after this is remote? And maybe we right. them in and maybe we switch to hotel seating and, you know, you know, so there's a lot of options we do. And we just, there's so much unknown, we just don't have the answers for it. Now, mm-hmm. go, the onboarding piece is, you know, the only thing I can say and advise in my opinion is that the more people that you have connecting to the people coming in, the better off we'll be. Mm-hmm. I think uh, one of the HR roles that we've learned, at least in my perspective, I've become more of a therapist in the last six months than I've ever felt. And, you know, I'm not a very emotional person, um, but I've heard more stories and more, you know, having to talk to people that have found this very difficult. And I think that this Mm -hmm. is, you know, my advice for managers and for HR staff as this continues to go is that the amount of empathy and confidence Mm -hmm. and you know persuasion that you have the better you off that the people are going to be listening to you because if you don't have that you know and they you act as if you're the hr staff from 30 years ago where you're an admin and all you're doing is administrative duties you this you're going to fail you know because okay. this is a world and i don't think it's ever going to go back to a normal uh, work environment again
2: i think you bring up an interesting point in that and and going back to that not only does, you know, what does the person need in terms of the physical setup of their office? You know, understand, we're having to have conversations with employees about things like what's going on at home? I mean, do you, I mean do you, can you find a spot in your house where you can be quiet? Do you get downtime? What's it like to try a new project for? Um, those are things that people are struggling with, especially people that have school-aged kids. I don't know how the hell they're getting through this. Uh, I I can't even begin to imagine what it's like. Uh, I think that uh, that's probably the toughest thing of anyone going through it. And most of our employees are going to be of an age where they've got young children. So they're going to be dealing with that. So I think we also have to understand that it's not you flip a switch and everyone works from home and everything's perfectly normal and they just work from home and it's just like it It always was. We have to understand that timetables may shift. Deadlines may be missed. Things are gonna happen, people are gonna be a little bit more sensitive. Um, They're gonna be more tired. Um, There's trade-offs there. And so nobody's gonna be operating under optimal circumstances. And so I think having um, opportunities for people to share that information, even if it's just publicizing EAP or creating, maybe maybe it's a question of uh, companies having a, a psychologist that's on call that people can talk to when there's, you know, when they are feeling stressed out, because I think a lot of employees are experiencing that. And especially imagine going into a new company and at least at the old company, they were with you through maternity leave, know you've got kids, you know, they've been through it all. Now you're in a new company and nobody knows your story. And how do you talk to them and say, look, I'm literally having to work on my lap in my bed. Because my kids are at the desk and my husband's doing this, and, and here's what my situation is. So I think just being open and creating channels where people can, um, you know, unburden themselves in those situations, so that we can make them productive, or as, as productive as possible and assimilated as easily as possible. Because this is not a turnkey where just send them a laptop and they're good to go.
0: I want to just switch uh, switch the top, not switch the topic, but turn the table just a little bit. So we've talked about the onboarding, we've talked about pros and cons of everything as far as uh, virtual onboarding, but the stuff that comes before the virtual onboarding is obviously figuring out, especially if you have different teams and different managers of each team, how do you teach, as HR, how do you teach your managers, what are the proper things, realistic qualities to look for to begin that onboarding and hiring process? And then once they're onboarded, what are some things that managers should be taught to do to make that person feel like they're part of the team? To to really bring them in. But I think the most important is how do we how do we teach them about realistic qualities and things to look for right now during this pandemic?
1: Well, I, I think it's an interesting one. Um, you know, for you know managers now, like we, were I wouldn't say we're unique, but we do a lot of. You know these kind of cultural tests and cognitive tests before they come in so you know a lot of the sense we don't know anything about the person but we know that the person you know based on the these uh, predictive indexes they have a lot of drive or they're not very collaborative but they're very precise um you know so we have that little bit of you know understanding about the individual beforehand so i think it kind of helps them a little bit when they're asking them questions you know, the one thing that, you know, I, th- I know people do is, and what we've tried to educate people do, and this is definitely what HR, you know, should be leading the charges by practice, by example, is, you know, coming up with these open-ended questions that keep people walk- talking, keep people, you know, don't just, don't fire seven questions at them and, you know, expect them to answer, and they're all basically just, you know, sharm questions. Wow. But that they just posted that these are the best five, five interview questions you can ask. them. like, it's a, you're not going to get anything out of these people that when you speak to them, you need to be a little more unique. You know, i remember interviewing for, you know, for Amazon years ago. And, you know, the questions they ask as off the wall as, they were, you know, were unique and I think they're probably appropriate now to do it over the phone or, you know, doing zoom calls. You know, we actually do encourage people to do interviewing either, you know, everybody get a phone screen, but now it's always a zoom screen or Teams or something that, you know, that where they can do a video call and it's always recorded so they can go back and look at it again so they can re-look at the answers. You know, I think managers should look for something, you know, you know how strong do they look in the sense that they're very confident about their answers. You know, it's, you know, if you can get out of them is you know, how do they feel about working remote and being a little bit isolated, you know, that's kind of good. You know, you're seeing, okay, well, this person has done it before. They're, they have the capacity to kind of take it on and you know, I think managers should be more upfront when they do hire people that we don't expect you to be always on. I think the biggest error that we have right now is that because we work remote, people mm-hmm. by human nature are on 24 seven. You right. know, and if I get an email by my manager at 10 o'clock, I'm responding at ten i I'm like, well, you, you shouldn't be doing that. You know, and I don't expect other people to do that, but what they're missing is that, well, then you don't send them the email. Sit on it, you know write it you know outlook has where you can delay their sending till seven o'clock in the morning just do that like why do you have to send it now right Uh, you know because they're going to respond especially new hires they're going to want to come on board and impress Mm -hmm. you do everything they can and then they get burned out because they're they've literally done everything they possibly could you should be very upfront about before you come in you know our culture is that we are very demanding However, and we, we do, some people do do this, you know, even when we were all in the offices, you know, we, when we weren't remote, you know, we had, we had, we ordered lunch for everybody and get everybody get free lunch. You know, we expect people to, you know, to sit at their desk, eat their lunch, do whatever. But the idea is, is it's not because we want to work you to Is We want you to come in at nine and leave at five and never think about us again. You know, get your stuff done and go away at five and be done with it. We don't, you know, if, if you get all that done and within the hours of that period of time, you're never going to get a call in the weekend. You're never going to get a call at six o'clock in the night or not. Now it's a little bit different. Now it's because they have access to them all the time. Now it's like, you know, you need to turn off. And the only way to do that is get the managers to lead by example. So I know that was off topic, but, so. I
2: think, so I think, uh, I, I think it actually is, because I think what I was thinking in response to your question was really looking at, telling the managers to really assess what their culture is and what their expectations are. I think, again, everyone's talking about culture and what's the culture of your company, and most companies haven't done the work to actually figure that out. Very few really have, and, and in all honesty, very few companies have a distinct culture. Um, but I think that managers have to figure out what's the dynamic on your team. Whenever I'm doing an intake with a manager, I always ask, you know, what's the team like? Who are the players in, you know, the, you know, in your direct reports? What are they like? How do they interact? What are your expectations of them? Why would somebody want to work for you? What are the skill sets that they're gonna need when they hit the ground? And What are the skill sets you expect them to develop? And also, what are the business problems? Don't tell me about the laundry list of the qualifications they need to have. You need to start with what is the business problem they're looking for this person to solve? And then when they interview that person, they need to keep that in mind so they're asking questions to ascertain whether or not that person's had experience solving that kind of business problem because all too often managers get caught up on whether they've had this kind of software versus that kind of software or they have worked in this industry versus that industry and the reality is we're looking for people that can think and you know unless it is something you know, so industry specific like if you're in farm, ph- you know, you're fi- hiring somebody with the pharmacology experience okay you've got to, you got it yeah they've got to have that but it's still what is the problem What are the challenges that they're going to be hitting or confronted with when they get here? What are the top three things that you expect this person to be able to resolve for you? And interview to that point. Don't get caught up in whether they've got three years or five years or whether they've worked with SAS, SAP, Oracle, or or Workday. Doesn't matter. If they work with one, they'll figure it out. The question is, can they navigate through a system? Do do, Do they understand how a system works? Uh, Have they managed a project? Can they lay it out? What's their thought process? So I think a lot of companies have done case studies. Um, The problem with that is you've got to have somebody that knows what they're doing and building those case studies to ask the people to do it. And then you've got to have people that are really good at assessing what the answers are to those case studies. Otherwise, you're just playing amateur psychologist and torturing the candidate. But I think if I had the number one thing that I could shift you know from an interview process is talk to the people engage with them get them into a conversation and understand their thinking about how they do things as opposed to a litany of you know tell me about a time when you missed a deadline that tells you nothing I mean at the end of the day it really tells you nothing about that person because I'm going to be honest with you if somebody's smart they're going to invent an answer if they can't come up with one I know I personally Full disclosure, I've had <laughs> interviews, and when I've gotten those, you know, those ten dumb SHRM behavioral interviewing questions, I've invented the answer just to see if the person figured out that I was completely inventing it, and they don't. I mean, I've had them sitting there saying, "Wow, these are great answers. That's a great example." And I'm like, "What do I do for a living? I'm a recruiter. If I can't ace this one, so I think people need to stop relying on the perfect interview question. I've been most successful." when I've just kind of disarmed the person by talking to them and then they get comfortable and they start telling me things that they probably wouldn't have told me if it was a very formal interview. Right. And you've got to be careful because you don't want to get into areas of illegality. But I think in treating an interview as a conversation, as opposed to an interrogation, it makes a big difference. I try and tell people what the reality is of, of the organization they're going to be joining. Warts and all. My feeling is, and I tell them, you live with yourself for 30 odd years. I'm going to talk to you for 15 minutes. I cannot possibly figure out if you're the right person or if this is the right situation. So I'm going to lay out the situation, tell you about what it's like to work here. And you tell me if this is an opportunity that makes sense for you. And all of a sudden, it turns the dynamic of the conversation. So now they're they're assessing whether it's the right fit for them as opposed to you trying being the only one that's gained. It's now a two-way thing as opposed to a one-way. And I find that really effective. And I think if managers focus on that, then they're going to be more successful in hiring people
1: that stick. I agree. And finding that uniqueness, you know, it's a, it's interesting you say that. Like I've been, you know, I've hired many people and a lot of the people I do, you know, I, I do the same thing. I come up with questions that basically are a little bit off the wall. They, you know, <laughs> respond in something, something that they say wow. crawls me interested. I remember, you know, many years ago when I, you know, a friend, a person who worked for me, brought a person's resume to me, and she came in to get a job. And I read the resume, and I, you know, it literally was someone straight out of college, and the resume like had maybe five lines on it, and it was full of spelling mistakes. I'm like, listen to uh-huh. me, like, I, I, I can't hire you like this. I'm like, I want you to go home this weekend, come back, and you know, write something for me that tells me why I should, should hire you. And, you know, and it, it, she came back, she wrote a nice little essay. And she helped updated her resume, fixed it, and gave it to me. And I did hire, took a chance, her. she had no experience. You know, now she's a director of payroll for a big company. Okay. Now she's, she she's the skill set. You know, it, it was something unique. You know, and she was there. I worked at, a, at a, an airline, and she learned, had a lot of experience, but she had a lot of drive. You know, if it wasn't for something unique that she identified, she probably wouldn't have got the opportunity. I'm sure so many people probably slammed the door on her just because they looked at her resume you know there's you know there's other stories too that i've seen you know the the interesting if if you do get them to open up you know i do think that you would have a more diverse workforce because Mm -hmm. interesting with everybody um you know something we do and it's not something you know i don't think it works for everybody you know all the testing we know whether they can do what they do before they get there because you know, before they even have the phone screen, we're sending the predictive index so we know the kind of drive they have. We send them online tests so we know whether they can pass it or not. If they don't pass, obviously they're not mm-hmm. going to get to the next level. So before they even, you know, walk in the door, you know what I don't like is we do have programmers asking them again more programming questions. I'm like, they just passed the test. They just did everything possible. Why are you wasting their questions on programming? You know, now you want to get to know. Them. Now you want to know whether you can. You're going to like the guy or whether he's going to like you. Yeah. Uh, You know, I think that's what we try to educate them on. But, you know, again, a lot of the people we put in management positions aren't experienced in it. So they learned from above or they read a book or, again, they looked up SHRM and those behavioral questions and that's what they use. (laughs) Well, if it's on here, we have to use it. But it's, you know, you're going to get what you get. And they're they're not going to stay unless you ask them those unique questions and that stands out. They're like, you know what? I like this company. Because I've turned down jobs just because of how the interview went, not because it wasn't a great That's job. Right. Why are you asking me this? I'm like, <laughs> I don't get it. So,
0: You know, I think the biggest takeaway from this conversation with the two of you is that this first, this onboarding process, I mean, I know that onboarding prior to pandemic was probably a little bit more systematic, destructive process. But I think that it's very imperative that, Employers and HRs really start to see now that onboarding is not just onboarding someone. It's really learning about their lives. And, and this, this whole virtual experience, people being at home, is a great opportunity to see what someone's life is like outside of work. And that should be a part of getting to know someone. So I, I really do think that I hope, I hope this opens up eyes to people as it's imperative to get to know the person, get to know what their work ethic is like and not just stick to lines on a resume, or a checklist that you have, or structured questions. I I think you hit the nail on the head. Hi everyone, so I have Gina and Michael back with me today. It's been about five months, so we're doing a quick touch base since the last time we spoke. And last time we spoke, uh, we discussed onboarding, and now things really have changed a lot as far as the onboarding um, area goes, because we have, Businesses that are going back in person. We have some that are not. Um, job certain roles are in person, certain roles are not. So, thank you for coming back, you guys. And, you know, what are you seeing that has changed since we last spoke as far as the onboarding process in this pandemic five months later?
2: I, I'll, I'll go first. Um, I think the, the biggest change has been the under, probably the hesitation. Uh, that at least in my company that we've, we've experienced because a lot of the roles are gonna be remote, but we're still trying to do the paperwork or they're gonna come on site for the first week. So I think the hardest thing has been early on, we knew that everyone was gonna be out, you know, was gonna be gone, there was there, you know, it all had to be virtual. But as we've evolved, we've got these hybrid roles that some people are in the office, some people aren't, some people are coming in for the first week and then going back home. And so I think the, the biggest challenge has been really streamlining those processes for understanding what jobs are gonna be where and what has to have functioned differently because of that. And I, I think that some of the companies that I've talked to and some of the friends I have at other companies, they haven't necessarily thought that through. They, they've taken their regular process, which may or may not have been fully online and they've just pushed some more of it online but every once in a while something will happen and all of a sudden they realize, oh, well, that's right. Normally we would have done that on orientation day. So I, I, I think that there's, again, I'm, I may be the negative Nelly here, but I don't know that companies have necessarily adapted that onboarding experience that people would get in office on the first day with the CEO. They've just been slamming people into the organization and they haven't necessarily put the effort into realizing that this is, this is a long-term thing. It's not just three months, we're doing it long-term. And because of the changes we've, got, we've identified with remote working where more jobs are gonna be remote, recruiting, sorry, onboarding really needs to be overhauled. And I don't know that companies are really putting that much thought into it. They're still in a band-aid mode. And I think it's gonna be a, a big wake up as we see the people that have been hired in this year get through the first 90 days, the first six months, the first year, and we look at the retention rates, I bet we're gonna see high retention or, you know loss rates because we never really fully grounded people in so onboarding is difficult at best and I think the fact that we really haven't stopped and said wait a minute how you know not not what we can do quickly to make it happen and get all the paperwork done what really should be our virtual onboarding process I, I just don't think we're there I don't know what John what do you think
1: uh, well I, I agree um, you know it's really in the sense that We've done a lot of hiring in the past year. We've onboarded 650 people this, this since the pandemic started globally, um, and I would say 90% of them have yet to meet any of their coworkers face to face. You know, so while they may be, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see if they really like the culture once they're in the office, and if they do return to the office in some standpoint, you know, they maybe find. You know, working remotely, seeing you know chit chatting with people over Teams and seeing them, but you know being next to them every every day for eight to ten hours a day, you know may change their opinion of whether they actually like their job or not. You know, yeah. see so yeah, that challenge. The other challenge is, you know, we, you're right about the band aid. You know, it was so quick to turn everybody to go out of the office and quickly go out of the office. You know, we're buying equipment for people and you know letting people buy their own equipment. Now we have IT to manage it. And you know, they've basically said, you know, I, here's a gift. You know, keep the equipment you bought because we can't support it once you come back in the office because we're not going to support 20 different types of equipment, things like that. But you know, you're up and running, good for you. Keep it going. And that. you know, we're actually thinking about now, especially since Connecticut has announced that on March nineteenth, uh, the state is allowing offices to open up hundred percent, you know, while we're not pushing the return to work, we know the question is going to come up. Um, you know, when we weren't prepared and we should have done this, you know, end of last year is come up with a proper remote work policy that, you know, not is covid because I think, uh, you know, recruiting is going to change people's questions are now, you know, it was never, Oh, does this remote? Well, it comes up occasionally. Now it comes up every interview. You know, is this, right. job, is this job not remote? You know, what did the future look like remote? And, you know, it's no longer um, good etiquette to say, oh, we don't have one yet. We're working on it. You know, it's March. Yeah. Right. It's not, you know, we, you should have had this done already. You know, we're in the same boat. We don't have it done. And it's we're in our fourth draft. They can't a- agree on anything. We have some people who agree to go back. We're an organization that were 100% in the office. Some agreed that we should go back to that you know, and the downfall of that is you're not going to hire anybody in the future because no one's going to come. It's going to make hiring yeah. pretty hard enough. It's now you're going to make it 10 times harder. Yeah. Uh, yeah. on the board of doing hybrid, some are on the board of doing 100% remote, but, you know, no one can agree on anything because they don't, they can't predict what's going to be in the future. But if what I will tell them and what I can t- is if you think that it's going to go back to how it was pre March 2020, you, you, we have absolutely missed our mark and we will be, for lack of a better word, up up the creek. Mm
2: -hmm. (laughs) Non-competitive and and basically non-competitive. I think your point also, because I'm focusing on recruiting and I'm in a company where they really want everyone to be, because of the transformational nature of what's going on, it's a startup, they want everyone there because they just believe that there's, things are happening too fast and they need the bonding and everyone kind of in the same place to, to have me, you know, spur of, spur of the moment, meetings and things like that. But the reality is because of where they are, the talent pool is negligible. So we've had to go out. Now I've got I've a situation now where literally we went out of state to find somebody, I found somebody and he just decided today that, you know, I just had my final interview and I really think to be successful I'm gonna have to be in the office. So I'm moving to Connecticut in the next two weeks. Like, okay, did not see that coming. So so I think that you know, when we look at onboarding, and I guess that's what we're supposed to be talking about, I think Right now, it's, it, it is it up in the air to me. My, my apologies, I called you, John. I had just gotten off a call with somebody named John. And so my head was still John and not Michael. So my, my apologies. Yeah. Hopefully you conscious. could edit that out. You can. you yeah, <laughs> same, cold yeah. worse. Um, oh yeah, I was about to say, if I just stay quiet, maybe they'll edit it out. But I'm like, yeah, just address it. Um, it's been that kind of day. But I think that we're all trying to figure it out. And, and so many companies are moving so fast. I mean, I, I'm old enough to remember when we thought that in the 21st century, we'd have leisure time, sorry, leisure in America, uh, where all this automation would be great and we wouldn't have to work that hard and we would have time to think back and strategize. No, it's gone the opposite way. We're all so busy. I mean, I'm looking at things now where they're talking about AI replacing manual jobs, billing jobs and things like that in companies. And I'm thinking, that's great. What are you gonna do for the workers uh, that are gonna be displaced? But I I think that it's it's created an environment where nobody's got time to sit down and plan. What was the five year? What does a five year plan in HR look like? What is a five year plan for onboarding? What are we budgeting? What are the things that we should be bringing in? What are the tools? Uh, Should we be using Slack? Should we? Are we even using anything other than you know Skype, which is antiquated and not going anywhere? So there's not. I think that the larger companies, the Deloittes and 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 the Nestles and the Googles and those companies, they're going to be figuring it out. I think it's the 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 zero to five thousand employee companies that are really struggling with this because they don't have the bandwidth, they don't have the staff, they don't have the budgets, they don't have they may not have sophisticated enough leadership in HR technology to understand that we are poised for a radical shift and in- And so I think we are going to be in trouble as companies are still applying old school methodology to onboarding and anchoring those people into the organization as, you know, as the expectations on the employees and the mobility of the employees, you may be saying, Hey, you know, this is great. We can hire somebody in in Idaho for a third less money. And the reality is that person in Idaho may decide that they have a burning desire to live in Massachusetts. You know, people don't stay in one place. So, I think we're we're at a point where we really have to stop and think about this, and I'm afraid it's not going to happen.
0: Do you? I have a question for you both: Is do you feel that the onboarding process should you know differentiate differentiate between the two? Um, like if it's a job that's going to continue to be remote for good, or a job that's remote for now temporarily, but then you know that one day they might be coming into an office. How should the onboarding process differentiate between those two types of job roles?
1: Well, my initial, I don't think it should. You know, if you're really trying to develop culture and you're really kind of trying to present your values and get the people understand the values, I think the process is, you know, probably similar, if not maybe, Mm -hmm. maybe a little intricacies difference. You know, the one caveat that as much as I would love to onboard, you know, automate onboarding as much as possible, Well, that's good if they're coming into the office 100%, you know, those remote workers, you know, unless there's a building of connection during the onboarding process where they get to meet the HR people, meet the IT people, meet all that, you know, it, it allows them to meet more staff knowing they'll may never come in the office or maybe they're not coming in the office for the next six months you know you could build all these automated processes on board where they're going in and completing the checklist and you know mm-hmm. first time they talk to someone is walking in the door I think you missed the boat. <laughs> yeah. you know, the first time they talk they talk to someone face to face is six months down the road, you know, there's definitely there's definitely something wrong. I think uh, you know as much as you want, you know, to your point is you know you think about automating as much as possible. And yes, you you should that's their focus, especially our growth we're trying to automate as possible. But you know, my hesitancy about automating our onboarding process 100% is that that means from the energy time to the first day on the job, no one has talked to them other than they got an email and a checklist yeah. and nothing else. And, you know, the managers may not have time, but unless there's built in some connector, you know, mm-hmm. that could be three months of just no connection with your employees. And you're like, well, what do you expect in the first day? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> and now yeah. blind and now they're sitting at home and you know, they they someone they may spend the whole day not talking to anybody. So that person-to-person touch, I think, may be overlooked probably too much as people try automating all these things for the onboarding process. At least during this period of time, mm-hmm. if we're all back in the office, and the majority are back in the office, it's it's just like it was in the past. You know, they get to build that rapport much quicker. But you know, now it's you know, if the person's hundred percent remote, you know, you know, you can that connection
2: i i I agree with you on a lot of that i was just thinking about how the sense of i was talking about this with some people the other day we used to all work remotely but a couple times a year we all went in for a a big team meeting and we'd talk about strategy and new things that were happening and we'd introduce new people in the organization and there was that we'd all go out and get drunk you know it was Especially at Anderson, we always had the campus. Uh, But there was that opportunity to bring in people that were from all over the organization into one place and ground them together and build those relationships. And for a year now, because travel's been done, I think companies have just dropped it. The fact that we're not doing orientation on site, did we at least do it once in video? I, I think that whole, I think too many companies have just dropped it. they got the paperwork and they're now the manager's problem. And I mean, as a recruiter, I've got people keep coming back to me because they don't know who's in HR. They don't know who's in benefits. They don't know who's in, pay- in payroll. Um, you know, They don't know who's in IT. They keep coming back to me because there's that piece of it just no longer exists where at least as boring as it may have been while you sat there while the IT people did their spiel and you did know all the benefits people did their spiel. At least there was a sense of camaraderie happening and touch points and milestones and, and standard process. Everyone knows onboarding, you, know, you go to a new company and you get onboarded, you have orientation. That piece missing, I think is causing, I, I think we're gonna see the knock on effect that people just are not as focused. They're hitting, they, there's no ramp up time. There's no kind of, okay, you started, you've got a couple of days of futzing about and then we're gonna get you started. Now they get, they get their computer two days before they start and on day one, they're expected to be working. We would never expect people to be working day one in a non-virtual situation.